What do we do? A podcast discussing wealth management and financial planning. Hosted by the founder and CEO of Great Lakes Wealth, Dewey Steffen. Alongside radio personality, Kyle Bogey. Well, here we are. The very first episode of the What Do We Do podcast here on site, actually, at Great Lakes Wealth. I'm Kyle Bogey. I'm going to be your host. But the star, the guy that you're going to be hearing from, the one that you really want to pay attention to, the CEO of Great Lakes Wealth, and that is Mr. Dewey Steffen, my friend. You seem fired up to do this. I love it. I am fired up, and I'm not the star. We are the co-stars, <laughs> 100%. But thank you. I am excited. We're here at our uh, Great Lakes Wealth headquarters, and we're going to make it happen. And I, I would encourage you know all of you out there listening, please, you can find us uh, on Apple, Spotify, wherever you find your, your podcasts and listen. Please, we encourage you, download, share. Uh, rate, you know, do all of the above to make sure um, that you're up to date on all the information that we're going to be giving you. So to get things kind of started here, I want to I want to go back because there's a ton of financial uh, and investment advice, you know, that, that's going to be bursting out of you, I think, by the time uh, we get to the end of this pod. But I'd like to just start with you, uh, Dewey, and, and kind of get a little bit of your backstory. So are you originally from here? Did, did you grow up here? How did, you know, you become... Dewey Steffen, you know, the CEO of Great Lakes Wealth. Right. Well, um, how much time do we have? Because there's uh, <laughs> all day 40 plus years to walk through. Are we ready? Okay, we're going to go fast. Let's, you just gave away your age. You shouldn't have done that. Well, yeah, there's more than 40 <laughs> years in there, right? So anyway, yeah, so um, raised here in Michigan, right? It's a wonderful story. My upbringing, it starts with my mom. My mom lost both of her parents before she was 18. My mom had to, in essence, raise herself. And when she was 18, she, um, you know, had no home if you will, of her own. And so my mom um, has been breaking glass ceilings since, you know, the 1960s. And so with that, she got her four-year degree in two years from Appalachian State down in North Carolina. And then as a young, bright woman, she realized that she wasn't ready to be a wife or mother or a nurse or a teacher. And those are really the only four, you know, avenues that most uh, women back then had available to them. So she found a job with the Department of Defense and uh, took a a position traveling the world as a civilian working for the Department of Defense. And this is in the 1960s, right? So fast forward to um, when I was born, she was now uh, a mother, uh, a wife, and she had an undergraduate degree. But while she was um, carrying my sister, she was up at Michigan Tech with my father getting a master's. So my mom is in her 20s getting a master's, uh, has a son, having another one, and being a wife to boot, right? So from, again, from my birth, I've seen, you know, as I'm just a little, uh, obviously I'm teasing a little bit, but as a, a newborn, seeing this inspirational woman that kind of shows you that there are no um, boundaries to how far you can go and what you can achieve. So with that, um, my parents ended up getting divorced, but uh, my mom raised us uh, in uh, early on in Livonia and then over in Commerce Town and then uh, realizing the uh, importance of an education. And as a single woman now, she uh, found uh, a place for us in Birmingham at the, in the Birmingham Public Schools. So uh, we were um, raised in Birmingham, and I'm a proud graduate of uh, Ernest W.C. Holm High School, Maple Pride. 
And uh, anyway, so, you know, from there, I went to uh, Schoolcraft College in Livonia. I uh, was captain of the uh, men's golf team. I also played on the uh, men's soccer team. And then uh, after my uh, associate's degree, I transferred to University of Michigan. And I graduated from U of M Dearborn with a degree in economics and uh, international business. And then I got my first job in the financial services business shortly thereafter. So you mentioned that your mom graduated from, is it Appalachian or Appalachian State, technically? Appalachian, Appalachian, I think, is the way that it goes. And you're a Michigan grad. You got it. My sister and myself. So she was really excited uh, back in 2007 when... uh, Appalachian State went to the big house and uh, and upset your Wolverines. This huh? podcast is officially over. <laughs> I, I have uh, another meeting I need to get to. Thank I had to so bring much. it up. Go on, it's amazing. So the great story. This is amazing, and you didn't know this. And this is um, the fantastic uh, dialogue we're going to have. Yeah. So that game, right, was in Ann Arbor. I was and, there, okay, by the way, and yeah. I was there too. So it was, you know, it was a Labor Day weekend, maybe, and it was super hot, mm-hmm. and no one wanted the season ticket holders. Nobody wanted to go see this, um, you know, beat down, right? So I was able to secure tickets. For my mom, this was a homecoming for her. My sister also went to U of M. So for um, my sister, myself, my mom, I had a one one child at the time. So we had um, I get, was able to get seats on the 50 yard line on the Appalachian State side <laughs> for my mom. Right, we went to a tailgate beforehand where my mom got to just live this you know this circle of life from for, from her perspective. And I told her the whole morning, Mom, now don't get you know don't get depressed when you know it's really a bad score and just kind. I remember your children went to Michigan, all this stuff. Well, again, we know the results, and um, I love my mom as you know more than the world. And the very next morning after that game, she called me, and again, she's a, a, a retired school teacher, right? She has a pension, but she lives within her means. She called me that next morning and said, "Dewey, that was something um, uh, divine, and I believe that I'm being called to give some money to." the Appalachian State Foundation to, you know, because of what what I saw yesterday, I want to make a donation. And I said, Mom, think it through. Take a (laughs) 24-hour, you know. And uh, anyway, so that's the impact that that game had, right, on, um, you know, a huge community, negatively to the, you know, Michigan faithful, but uh, a lot of other places. So that was a wonderful game for my mom to attend, and uh, I was – was there as well. Well, and clearly your mom, um, you know, played a, a major role in kind of shaping work ethic, fighting through, getting your education, being smart. You said she lived, you know, obviously within, you know, her means and all of that. I guess how did seeing that and witnessing, you know, how she went about her life kind of shape how you wanted to make sure that you were taking care of yourself as you were in college and then moving on into the financial world. Yeah, so every summer I worked, right? So I've been working uh, since I was 13 years old, delivering newspapers as a dishwasher at the IHOP in town. And I started um, as a caddy at Birmingham Country Club at age 14. And I stayed there working summers until I was close to 21. So uh, Birmingham Country Club and the employees and the members there became my mentors, right? I did not really have a father growing up and I was surrounded by fantastic men fantastic women who were able to kind of encourage and um, guide. Uh, That's actually, um, just as an employee there, I was able to play enough golf either in the evenings or on Mondays or whatever to get my game up to the level that I was able to play junior golf uh, pretty competitively and certainly play at the collegiate level. So they also then pushed me when I was uh, leaving school craft and going to Michigan to not, you know, focus on golf anymore, but to focus on business and that um, that really would be, um, you know, what you needed to do to, um, you know, provide for whatever family had later. So that again, seeing my mom as a school teacher, she paycheck to paycheck, if you will and didn't understand, you know, investing. 
So I kind of was led down that path, realizing that there's a lot of struggle out there if you're not financially set. Um, she certainly um, did a wonderful job as a, a single woman, and uh, but pushed me in the way that that I ended up. And uh, I um, give a, I owe a lot of gratitude, and a big a big thank you to um, all those folks at uh, Birmingham Country Club for um, you know all that they've done for me. All right, so a critical question. How many strokes are you going to give me on the course this season? Well, it depends. Are we playing? Uh, I'm like know? a 10 handicap, although I'm playing more like a 12 right now. Okay? Yes. Well, with the new baby that you have, <laughs> um, I don't know if you're allowed to play any golf at all. I'm, play, I'm playing four times this week, okay. let me tell you. All right. Well, fantastic. <laughs> so, yes. I, um, we'll have to get out. Uh, yes. We'll do that for sure. But I don't know if you're familiar with this thing called COVID-19 and the, uh, the state of Michigan is still closed currently. Uh, so I have to do a lot of work. So uh, my, golfing day, my golfing dates will come. But, uh, yeah, we'll work on that. We'll, uh, we'll be sure to update the people on uh, some later podcasts about how those uh, th- those golf rounds went. Um, you, you mentioned it right there, um, Great Lakes Wealth. And, you know, you obviously very, very busy and, you know, a lot going on, especially right now. So how did you end up transitioning from the motivation that you had growing up, clearly well-educated, wanted to get into business? You had the mentors at the Birmingham Country Club to here we are now sitting inside Great Lakes Wealth and, and you're the guy, you're the CEO. Yeah, got it. So I was blessed to um, work for Comerica Securities in the late 90s. I worked at a uh, firm prior to that, and then I uh, got a position at Comerica Securities in the late 90s. And then um, a few years later in 2001, was offered a position at uh, Citigroup Smith Barney which is now part of Morgan Stanley. And so I took that position in 2001, and I stayed there until 2007. And then in 2007, I actually had the idea of opening my own firm at that time. Um, if we recall the 00 to 02 stock market decline and the, um, the events of 9-11, and then the recovery and the housing market and the housing um, bubble that burst, actually. I kind of, I think I was 35-ish, give or take the time, and I um, was married with a child. And uh, was thinking that there's something missing to uh, this local community. There are Wall Street firms, and then there are some neighborhood firms. But, you know, I don't know if everyone should be at a huge Wall Street firm. And I don't know if anyone, if everyone should be at, you know, a small neighborhood firm. So uh, with that, I did some talking to, again, my, you know, my, um, my circle, my mentors. And they said, you're probably too young to start your own firm at 35, Dewey. Um, there's a lot of responsibilities and quote unquote, you don't have any gray hair yet. And so <laughs> literally they said, um, we would support you, but you really c- should consider staying employed at a, you know, a, at a Wall Street firm until you're 40. And uh, whatever the reality or the you know truth of that or not, it, you know the, the truth behind it. It certainly um, I took that advice, and in 2007 I did leave Smith Barney, which is now Morgan Stanley, and I uh, took a position at UBS um, here in um, Farmington Hills. And I worked there and uh, started building a team and doing some things uh, from 2007 until 2016. Well, in there was 2008 and 2009, right? So we had a um, market collapse in 08 and 09 as i was really coming on board there as an employee i'd been there maybe a year and a half and so to see that they were letting employees go and i had a team that they uh, management had suggested that you know we you know um, um, shrink in size and do some things and so i really was able to uh, understand not only the investing climate and how to uh, you know protect assets and to navigate those um, those tremendously difficult markets, but also to see on the management side with the approach to management. So post um, 2009, when things started to kind of recover, 
Uh, Merrill Lynch became part of um, Bank of America. Um, other mergers and things happened. We also obviously had the um, bankruptcy of Lehman Brothers and Bear Stearns. So all of that, we just kind of grinded through and kept working and kept our head down. Our team just did some phenomenal things, um, I think, um, within the community, but also on the investment side and the communication side. But as we went down the road, I realized more and more that there was a, still a disconnect. There was still just a major, major piece missing of of you know, the investment um, necessity for the majority of um, investors in this town primarily and our clients in particular. So my partner, uh, Michael Hartman, and myself, we just started talking and uh, we did the research. In 2014, we started. And then uh, two years later, we had put all the pieces in, in place where we um, uh, respectfully resigned our positions at uh, UBS and uh, July 1st, 2016. So, um Basically, 30 days from today will be our fourth uh, anniversary, and uh, it's a blessing with a uh, with a, a part of sadness. Michael Hartman, my partner, he uh, passed away of cancer after we had only been open for a year and a half. So um, he died in November of uh, 2017. So a lot of what we do is, uh, you know, his inspiration, and um, it's his legacy as much as anything else that we try to. Uh, you know, instill in our employees and in our culture and how we go about ourselves on a daily basis. No doubt uh, a motivating factor. Um, and, and I guess, you know, you mentioned it right there. Going back to, because this isn't the first market crash that we have had, you know, in the last, uh, you know, 12 years or so. It's really unbelievable what has happened. But how, I guess, would you compare what happened in 2008 that you dealt with and you worked through and, and you know, managed to what we have going on, you know, now currently in 2020, I guess. How did that shape how you've handled things now? Very, very good question. And very similar in the approach of how you uh, manage assets. So when things started to decline, you know, call it late February, early March, there was no understanding of what was happening. Hindsight's always 2020, and the tomorrow's uh, news is great, you know, um, if you can get it yesterday. But the situation in 0809 was markedly different that was due to you know financial markets and um, a lot of banking um, challenges that uh, uh, were created by the system it created itself this was created by a virus that no one understood and knew mm -hmm. and uh, there was nothing wrong with our economy there was nothing wrong with valuations of assets and there was nothing wrong with the investment strategies were there but when things are going down and then there's going to be you know an abrupt halt to the economy so again um you know, you have to have your past experiences to um, guide you, and they can tell you again to you know stay the course, which is also a very important concept of investing, is to ride it out and stay with it. But I also believe that there's a place in there for being you know tactical and taking chips off the table, and so we actually started doing that in 2019. So, you know, last year the stock market was up over 30 percent. And so uh, once we got to the first week of January as a new tax year, we recommended to, you know, a lot of our clients with the strategies that we run here, you should just take some chips off the table and just kind of see uh, where we should go next. Long-term investing versus short-term investing, totally two different approaches. So that was uh, the preamble to what happened. And then as it's been happening, we literally have been um, pivoting on a daily basis here. We have long-term uh, themes. We have long-term strategies. 
but we also have some very short-term thoughts um, here at our firm. With the market obviously being, you know, what it went down to, um, you know, just a month, you know, month and a half ago, I guess, how do you weigh the risk, you know, versus reward? And and you mentioned it, short-term and long-term investments. What, what, I guess, is the prudent thing to do? And does it vary with people who are close to retirement versus somebody like me who's, you know, 30 years of age and, you know, we've had two massive market crashes within my, you know, earning years? Yeah. And it's a great question. And the answer is complex. Yeah. Yeah. We believe in cliches around here to help make complicated analyses simple, right? So whether it's bird in the hand, two in the bush, a fool and his or her money are soon parted. So those are the things where um, you need to make sure that um, you are in survival mode right now. And that was the same in 08 or 09. In 08 or 09, people were walking away from their homes. They were being foreclosed upon and they were stealing the copper pipes on their way out. Um, they were trashing the investments that they had made because they were walking away from those investments and just defaulting on them. Now there's none of that going on this go around. Um, there is uh, you know, 40 million unemployed Americans currently. That's a situation. That's a, that's a difficult situation. Those people may not have extra resources to be investing in this market while it's down, but there is a whole other pool of investors that have survived and they want to take advantage of the situations that are there. So number one is you always need to just take a step back and analyze your individual situation. And then you need to make your decisions going forward based upon the expected outcomes and it's uh, the time frame that you have. We call it um, goals-based financial planning. Right? What are the goals you're trying to accomplish? And then look at the time frame and come up with a, a solid plan at that point. Now, you might laugh at this, um, but you know, while this is all you know, going on, there's been a lot of uh, you know, people out there who think uh, you know, very sharp financial minds who are at home and, and messing around with these apps. Now, obviously, you have your own business. You're not worried about anything like that. So I guess what is the biggest piece of advice you know, for people figuring out what to do with their money, what to invest in, who to talk to um, you know, about making sure that they're not just – I'm gonna. I'm just throwing money, you know, at, at this stock or you know whatever's going on in the market. When you should really be educated enough if you're going to do that. So we have 11 tips that we tell anybody that they need to um, use as a guide. They're very simple, and the first one is start now. So if you are just trying it for the first time, you should start now. If it was in January and the market was at the all-time high, you still sort of started then, right? So number one is start now. But then number two is seek professional advice. You need to have an advocate in your corner, someone behind you or next to you that can tell you uh, the answers to some of these complicated, um, you know, questions and, and thoughts. Planning um, is very important. It's not just, you know, just, I don't know, giving it a, giving it a, a try, just throwing it, throwing it up there and see what happens, right? Um, number three is you got to set your investment goals. Determine your time horizon. Determine your risk tolerance. Determine what strategy or strategies are appropriate for you. You should start with broad-based investments. You don't need to go pick a stock. You don't need to go pick one thing and that's going to be you know, what takes you to the promised land. Broad-based investments. 
you need to contribute on an uh, automatic and consistent basis. So you should have an auto draft from your bank account, $25 a week, $50 a week, 100 a month, whatever it is, and be consistently investing. And in a market like this, a time that we're in now, it couldn't be more prudent. It's called dollar cost averaging if you're putting in. And this is typically what um, employees do within their 401k plans. Every paycheck, something goes in. So if the market is high now relative to two months ago, you're buying, but you're buying less shares because the price is higher. If in the next two months, the market goes back down to where it was, you'd be buying more shares. So as it goes up and down and is volatile, you're taking advantage of that volatility because you didn't have to pick one day to invest and hope that that was the perfect day. So consistently investing is very important. Number nine is you should be active, but don't overtrade. You don't need to day trade. You don't need to get in and get out. And we see a lot of younger, a lot of people need to hear this from you, by the way. <laughs> a, a lot of younger and a lot of inexperienced <laughs> investors really should be called inexperienced yeah. traders because investing is for the long term. Trading is for the short term. And I don't know what the stat is anymore, but I think it's something like. Seven or eight out of ten traders lose everything that they started with in their their goal of investing, right? So um, I don't know what the exact number is, but it's a complicated game. In the last two months, the the Dow has gone from eighteen thousand five hundred, where it bottomed out, back up to you know twenty five thousand, basically, and. Every single day on the TV and on the radio and in conversations we even have with our own clients, who some of them are you know, CEOs of, um, of significant companies, they've all said the same thing. Well, it can't be going up like this. We have too many problems. The market can't go up. This is silly. Why is it going up? It can't be going up. It can't be. It's gone up for basically 60 straight days if you count the weekends. And so all that to say that um, you need to have a long-term focus if you're investing and know what your goals are. And if you're day trading, you know, again, good luck to you. But so be active, mm -hmm. but, um, but, don't, but don't be a trader. And then again, you need to stay disciplined. You need to find out what your approach is. And... Um, when you do really well, don't celebrate. Don't tell everyone how great you are. You know, don't over um, almost publicize it or something. <laughs> yeah, just don't don't get too don't get too high on yourself. Don't yeah. get too caught up in the hype. But also, when it's low, don't be too much in despair. Mm -hmm. Don't be too downtrodden about it all. So you just need to again have your plan and know whether it's you know if you want to compare it to a sport. There are some. Uh, games where you're ahead and then you lose and there are other games and you're behind and you come back and win but as it relates to the market um, you just have to have a disciplined approach and there's hundreds or if not thousands of disciplines out there you just have to find a disciplined approach stick to it and don't get too low and don't get too high and just continue down the path. Uh, and then last is to review your portfolio consistently. Review what you have and reevaluate if you need to make any tactical changes while you're uh, you know, using your long-term strategic um, strategy. So, you know, obviously a very, very complex uh, discussion there because of, you know, how old you are, what your investments are, what your 401k maybe, you know, potentially would have looked like. But I think everyone out there knows, and it's a precarious situation, you know, no matter how old you are, no matter how much money you potentially have or had uh, in the market. But if you're somebody, say, that was a couple of years away from retiring and out of nowhere this pandemic hits and you lose 10, 15 20%, you know, potentially of the 401k that you spent, you know, your entire life building. I mean, somebody's going to, you know, say, well, I can't do a long-term investment. You know, I got to, I got to figure something out here. How, how have you been managing that? And I guess helping the people who are 
right there at retirement age, and this is just – it couldn't have been worse timing, you know? Yes, we know. Um, <laughs> and, uh, you know, the timing is everything, yeah. right? And it's uh, – in, in this business, the cliche or the, the um, motive of working under is – it's not – timing it's time in so now all of a sudden timing is everything in one sentence but it's not timing it's time in that's the other so i've always been challenged by that um, statement of it's not timing it's time in because if the timing is wrong then um it's not the time in it is the timing so within that hopefully someone who had a 401k or has a 401k and they're close to retirement, hopefully they didn't have it all in the stock market. Mm -hmm. You should have an allocation that's appropriate for, you know, your age, your risk tolerance, and, you know, your goals, your time until retirement. And so, again, a simple approach is you take the number 100 and you uh, subtract your age and if you happen to be 50, then you should have 50 percent in the market and 50 percent out of the market, or let's call it into bonds or something. So if you are 60, you should have 60 uh, percent out of the market and only 40 percent in the market. Keep going. If you're 90, <laughs> you should have 90 percent out of the market. But 10% should still be in the market, right? Mm -hmm. So that's an allocation is what that's called. And then it would change. So if you were 50-50 to start this year, and then through the end of March, you would be 60-40. Your 40% your is the stocks because they went down. And the bonds might have gone up a little bit. So whether you want to rebalance now and take advantage and, and push the button so some of your bonds go into the stocks and you rebalance, great. You can do it quarterly. You can do it monthly. You can do it annually. But uh, with that approach, you always will have something that will get you through if retirement happened to be January 1st of this year and you didn't have it all in the market, you would have had you know 50 or 60% hopefully out. And uh, the bond market is actually up this year. So bonds have actually gone up you know, through this. Yeah. And, and, you know, as far as somebody my age, somebody in the middle of their, you know, their earning years, um, you know, I, I suppose the question for that is, do you buy into the theory that this is, some people are calling this the buying opportunity uh, of a lifetime. You know, is this, if you're financially inclined or you're, you're set enough that you do have some money, extra money, perhaps that you can invest and in, in smartly throw into the market, do, do you subscribe to to that you know phrase that this is really a great opportunity over the next several years to make a lot of money and, and potentially get a lot of that back because people my age I mean this is the the second major catastrophe that we've really had um, you know in the market it's it's craziness it really is the answer is yes a big loud <laughs> defined yes it's whether, yes. whether it's the opportunity of a lifetime or the generational buying opportunity of a lifetime, however you want to phrase it, mm -hmm. this is an opportunity for those that have disposable income, money set aside, or are getting you know extra money from each paycheck to put in and take advantage of the opportunities that are there now. Absolutely. When the Dow was at 18,500 and was down over 30% in basically a month's time, that very well may have been the bottom. We will see what happens. There's a lot of things still to be um, decided that will take, uh, you know, um, move the course of where we do go from here. But that to say that the market is still down on the year, and it's only, you know, 
June 2nd, right? So you have an opportunity just to get in now to get um, a positive outcome by the end of the year. Usually the market's up and you're trying to get in before it gets up higher. Now the market may very well go back down and um, you know go lower in the next few months or even next few years. So you can't, again, back to timing, you can't say this is the time and put it all in, right? But we believe as we head into summer, it's an election year. We're going to have more data in July from the publicly traded companies about how earnings went in the second quarter. We already heard how um, things dropped off a cliff for the majority of companies in the first quarter. We'll get second quarter data in their earnings calls in July. We'll be able to formulate an even a more detailed plan of who the, who the haves are and the have-nots. And then you're into that election cycle. And you have historic low interest rates now. The Federal Reserve has come to support Americans, not only with um, PPP money for companies or for just the uh, enhanced um, unemployment checks and, and whatever else, but they've also cut interest rates to basically zero. And so there's another um, old adage in the business or a cliche, which is don't fight the Fed. If the Federal Reserve is helping us by cutting rates and by uh, um, infusing cash into the system, that's supposed to inflate prices. That's supposed to help us out. So there's a lot of different reasons why I would say absolutely yes. You need to take all that you can and figure out where you should put it. And it might not just be the stock market. You could argue for real estate. You could argue this would be a great time to start a small business. So it doesn't have to be in the stock market per se, but this is the opportunity of a lifetime. The other side of it is to um, look at your debts. You need to make sure that you've refinanced and restructured all of your debts. And that's primarily your mortgage, but it also could be your credit cards school loans, whatever you have out there, it's just as important now to get your monthly bills as consistent and low as you can, because those will be fixed. And then you can take advantage of this market. I guess one more thing on that, and I think the the, the next pod, episode two of uh, the What What Do We Do podcast, uh, could be focused on maybe the comeback as opposed to what's going on right now. But uh, on this, we could see another stimulus package, you know, thrown out there. We've already, you know, gotten the you know twelve hundred dollars, you know, if you're you know an individual, you know, making so and so, whatever it might be, and it was all tiered out. If there is another situation like that, and again, you are, you know, maybe inclined to do so. Uh, I'm assuming taking some of that money, if not all of that money, if you can, it would be wise to to get get rid of debt or potentially invest that as well. Yeah, first is debt, right? We always say you need to survive and then go thrive. So you need to lock down and make sure that your expense side of the equation is taken care of first. And again, that's planning. So it is three to six months minimum of expenses put away, whether it's a escrow account, a slush fund, your rainy day, whatever you want to term it, you need to have three to six months of expenses that you've saved. And um, I was doing the math just the other day, very simple math. Right. If this all happened March 1st, you've got all of March, all of April, and all of May. So that's three months. If you had three months of savings set aside and you were unfortunately let go from your job March 1st, the very first person, you're only three months in and you actually wouldn't be in dire straits or threat, uh, uh, you know, sweating it out as much as if you had nothing in the bank, we're given a pink slip on a Friday, and what am I going to do now, right? So doesn't make it a ton better, but to know that three to six months of money set aside for a cataclysmic event like we just had <laughs> will be you know, a, a great solace to you, right? So that's number one. Then number two is restructure that debt. So uh, put some money aside for a rainy day. Then two, manage your debts. Pay off any debts that are high that they 
they, they won't bring that rate down, get those off the books now. And then with that extra money, whether it's part of the 1200 or just other savings that you have, you absolutely can find investments right now that will, you know, for lack of a better word, help you thrive later. All right. Well, hope you enjoyed the first episode. Again, this is the What Do We Do podcast brought to you by Great Lakes Wealth. We got CEO Dewey Steffen, uh, Kyle Bogey with you as well. We got a lot that we're going to be uh, covering here moving forward, but I think a great start learning a little bit about uh, about you, Dewey, your life, your motivations, your expertise, uh, a lot more to come. And again, I think episode two, we really hone in on the comeback for the market and, and for people you know, in this country financially. So please like, share, subscribe, download the What Do We Do podcast. You can find it on Spotify, Apple, anywhere that you listen to your podcast. And of course, follow Great Lakes Wealth on all of their social media channels. The opinions expressed in this program are for general information purposes only and are not intended to provide specific advice or recommendations for any individual or any specific security. It's only intended to provide education about the financial industry. To determine which investments may be appropriate for you, consult your financial advisor prior to investing. Any past performance discussed during this program is no guarantee of future results. Any indices referenced for comparison are unmanaged and cannot be invested into directly. As always, please remember investing involves risks and possible loss of principal capital. Please seek advice from a licensed professional.